So we've been talking about called to purpose, doing a little bit of a series, and today will be the last one. And so we're going to go back to our foundation scriptures, if you remember what they are. It's Romans 8, verse 28, and Psalm 139, verse 14 to 16. You might say, why do you read this every week? Faith comes by hearing. Amen. That word hearing is not having heard, it's a continual hearing. So the more you hear, the more God ministers to your heart. The best thing that we could do and stand up here is just read the Bible to you. Like we read this, read Book of Romans and we sit down, hallelujah, praise the service. It'd be like the best sermon ever because it's everything that God said. And so in Romans 8 verse 28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So each one of us sitting here this morning, we are the called of God and we are called to his purpose. We're not just called to random life. We're not just called obliviously. We're not called to live aimlessly. We're called to a specific purpose and a specific plan. And then in Psalm 139, we see that plan. It says it's written in God's books. Psalm 139, verse 14 to 16 says this, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And so there's a book written of your life. God's written the purpose, He's written the plan, He's written the destiny for each one of our lives, and he's, He guards that book very closely. So we've been looking at different characters in the Bible, uh, mostly from the Old Testament. We started out with Joseph, then we looked at Daniel, and we, last week we looked at Moses. Today we're gonna look at the life of someone in the New Testament, and we're gonna glean what we can learn off from his life, and that person is Paul. So we're gonna start out in Galatians chapter one, verse 15 to 16 where Paul writes and he, he just expresses everything that we've been talking about, talking about the purpose of God over our lives. Remember that word in Romans 8 verse 28, purpose talks about an advanced plan. It talks about a deliberate plan, how we're born into the earth at a specific time for a specific moment for a specific purpose. And so here we see in Galatians chapter one, verse 15 to 16, Paul recognises this over his own life and he states very clearly to the church in Galatians, what the purpose of his life is, why he was born into the earth and why and what he has been called to. And so he says this, but when he, talking about the Father, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I read again. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was, was pleased to reveal his son to me, and this is his purpose, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And so Paul's, the, 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 the purpose and the deliberate plan of God for Paul's life was that he would be the preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles. Whereas before these guys were, you know, the story, they were huddled up in Jerusalem, but Paul took the gospel to do two different contents. He took it to the Gentiles. He took it to the non-Jewish believers and he turned cities, literally they say of him, this Paul who has turned cities upside down has come to our city too, they would say of him. And so it's interesting about Paul's life is Prior to his conversion, he did everything in exact opposition to the call of God on him. If you read the, the book of Acts, it'll tell you, and he even writes of his own testimony, how he would purposefully go out to the temples. He would go out to the houses where the Christians were meeting, and it says he would drag them away into prison. He's, he's, he found delight in persecuting the followers of Christ. And so we know he had the road of Damascus experience. Uh, the, Jesus came to him and said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he had this amazing transition, this amazing conversion where he now stepped into the destiny of God. But what's interesting and what I wanted to point out is that he was going, God had written his book, right? Psalm 139, Paul, preacher to the Gentiles. 
Paul gets born into the earth. He has the book and Paul goes, whew, this way, complete opposite direction. But what I want to see is that God didn't like, oh, okay, scratch that out. Paul messed it up, never mind. He continually calls Paul back to the purpose. He continually calls Paul back to his destiny. And so no matter how far, and it's such a good example because it's such an extreme of an opposition to the call of God on his life. But God, like I said last week, God never disqualified him. God never canceled his purpose or his plan. But in the opportune moments, he, he, he took the opportunity and said, Paul, this is who I am. And God, Paul made a 180 degree turn and started walking in the purpose and the plan for his life. And so what we can glean from Paul's life, just as we did from Joseph, remember Joseph had to walk through a fence. Um, Daniel had to walk through no compromise. Moses had to walk through failure. What we see from Paul's life is that in this walk, in this journey of purpose, there was a great cost. I think more than any other person in the Bible besides Jesus himself, Paul paid an immense cost to fulfill the call upon his life to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And what we're gonna see, it's so amazing about Paul, is he paid it willingly, and he paid it again and again and again to fulfill the call which God had purposed in his life. So we're gonna look at a couple examples from his life of what I'm talking about. And the first one is this, it's in Acts chapter 14. So in Acts chapter 14, verse 19 to 21, listen to this. A man so consumed with purpose, that he will pay the cost, whatever that cost is. And so Paul's been, like I said, he's going to these different continents and he's preaching in different cities. And so he's just preached in this city called Lystra. And so it's in verse 14, sorry, chapter 14, verse 19, it says, but Jews came from other cities, Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, listen to this, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So here's Paul, he's fulfilling the purpose of God on his life, the preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles. It says, while he's doing this, these other guys come, they stir up the crowds, they drag Paul out of the city and they stone him, thinking he's dead. So he must have been pretty severely stoned, pretty severely beaten that he actually thought he was probably motionless, lying on the floor, they can't even see him breathing, blood everywhere. It says that the saints... The saints gather around him, they pray for him, and what does he do? He doesn't go to recover, he doesn't go to the next city. It says he goes back into the same city where the guys are. He encourages the believers there, and then he goes to another city, and then what he does after visiting another city, he goes back again to the same city where they stoned him. He was prepared to get stoned again. And again, and again, he would pay any, he knew, he, it was so inside of him. This is what I love about Paul. It's just like, if we can get this from him, the passion and the conviction in his heart to fulfill the purpose of God on his life, that he would pay the cost. These guys almost killed me. If I go back, maybe they'll get it right next time. Okay, I'm gonna go anywhere. I'm gonna do it anywhere. Another example is in Acts chapter 20. Verse 22 to 24, Paul's writing and he says this. He says, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But listen to this but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Wherever he's going, he's traveling, he's, he knows he has to go back to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is telling him, 
Paul, when you go back, they're gonna imprison you. They're gonna beat you. If you read in, I think it's Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 21, there's this prophet that comes to him and he says, he ties his hands and says, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, they're gonna tie you up. They're gonna beat you. They're gonna imprison you. And they start crying and they, they plead with him, Paul, don't go. He says, guys, I have to go. I have to fulfill the call. I have to fulfill the purpose. I have to fulfill the ministry. And then we read on in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul, now he lists everything. He lists every cost that he paid. Verse 24, it says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger, danger and robbers, danger from our own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger in false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul paid the cost for his call whatever that cost was. And eventually that cost would be his own life. Where he was imprisoned, where he was bound, and he was martyred for his faith. But he never shrunk back. He knew, God, I have to go to Rome. I have to go to Jerusalem because there are people there that need to preach the gospel. And though it cost me my life, I will pay the cost to fulfill the call upon my life. And so the challenge to us this morning as we reflect on Paul's life is, are we willing to pay the cost? Are we willing to pay the cost of our call? Chances are none of us will ever get beaten, stoned. But what is your cost? What is the cost of your call? because there will always be a cost. And so what we often do is we, we choose convenience over conviction. Convenience is the easy way out. Convenience is the easy route. But what we see in Paul's life is he chose the path of conviction. Convenience says, I don't have to go back into that city right now. You know, I'll just send Timothy or I'll send Titus. I'll send one of these guys in. I just need to recover. I just need to take some time out. But Paul never chose the easy road. He never chose convenience. There were, like I said, there was such a, a conviction in his heart to fulfill the plan and the purpose for God that he would pay any cost to do that. And so what we're gonna do now, we're gonna look at two passages of Scripture that Paul wrote, Paul wrote and they reflect this in his life. They reflect this conviction. They reflect this passionate desire to pay the cost of the call. And so he's writing to, to Timothy and another one he's writing to the, to the church in Corinthians. But let's go first to the one in Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. Paul's writing to, to Timothy and he's saying, Often you'll see Paul in his writing say, he'll say, follow me, do what I do, emulate my life. And here again, we see him writing to Timothy, his young, almost like all the Star Wars fans, his young Padawan, you know, his, <laughs> his, his, his sidekick, his, his next generation, the guy that he's raising up, his spiritual son, will be a, probably a better way to say it. <laughs> and he's saying, you see my life, you see the cost that I pay. And now he writes this to Timothy. In 2 Timothy, 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I read again, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Then he says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And so just make it very clear. The sufferings that Paul is talking to is not sickness, it's not lack, it's not poverty, it's not depression, 
It's not all these things that the works of the enemy or what he's referring to is what we just read. The sufferings that he's referring to is the cost that he paid for the call. And so he's, he's writing to Timothy and he's saying, there will be a cost on you. God, I've sent you. What he did, he sent Timothy into the, into the city of Ephesus to, to be a pastor there, to teach the Word of God. He's saying, you will pay a cost for, being, for the call of God upon your life. And he says, be a good soldier. Now, and I love that analogy because when we think of soldiers, we think of like, you know, like, I don't know. I can't think of a word, but just, you know, like strong, bold. You're like, yeah, in your face, just like, you know, got a gun, I'll shoot you in your face. <laughs> like that kind of thing. Unflinching, not, not like, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes sounds express better than words. Right? <laughs> and so Paul's he's encouraging Timothy, you will suffer, you will pay a cost for your call. And so like I said, most of us, unless we move to a foreign country, we will never experience the sufferings that they experienced. We'll never experience the cost. We'll never have to pay the cost that they paid the whips, the beatings, and so forth. But there will be a cost in areas of our lives. And I love what he does in verse four is he, he begins to just like unfold this and he brings more understanding to this. And he says to Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. And so what this is about, remember John chapter 17, it says, the Father has separated us from the world to himself. So in 2 Timothy chapter three, chapter two, verse four, what Paul is saying is the world is the civilians. And we as the believers, we are the soldiers. And so what he's saying to Paul, if he, he goes on, he says, don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. And so what he's saying is that don't get, what he's saying to us, don't get caught up in the things of the world. Yeah. See, when I do that, God has called me to, to be a soldier. He's called me out of a civilian and he's called me to be a soldier. He's given me, like every soldier, right? They don't just go out into, they don't jump out the helicopter and land on the grass. Okay, guys, what are we doing now? Oh, I don't know, shucks. Um, maybe you just lie over there, you stand over there and we'll see what happens. No, they, they have a direct mission. Before they even dispatch from their base, they sit down with the commander and says, okay, this is what we're doing. This is the mission objective. This is your role. This is your role. This is your role. This is your role. So that when they land on that, that war zone, they know exactly what they need to do and how they need to do it as effectively and as quickly as they can. And so it's the same with us. God, He gets us born again and He gives us a mission. He gives us a purpose. We discover for the first time in our lives, we discover who we are. We discover what we're born for. I have a mission. I have an assignment. I have a purpose. And so what Paul is saying is like, don't go back to the civilian life and don't go and try to fit in there because you're gonna lose focus of your mission. You're gonna lose focus on your assignment. And so whatever the things are in the world that are causing you, to lose focus on your mission, that are causing you to lose focus on your purpose, you need to cut them off. I'll say it again. We are called as soldiers. We are called with purpose. We are called with a mission. Paul's saying, don't get entangled there. You've been separated from them. When you do, when you abdicate your role as a soldier and you put on your civilian clothes, you actually lose focus of your mission. And so what we've got to be very careful of is not to get entangled in civilian affairs. What Paul's saying, don't get mixed up in all that. That's not your life anymore. You can't go out partying. You can't go out clubbing anymore. It's just the way it is. When you do, you will lose focus of the purpose and the plan that he has for your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 
For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? When I ask, I know I always do these illustrations. Don't even come here. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're going to both. So according to Joshua Watson, the yoke that Paul's referring to is not the yoke in an egg. <laughs> Back in the day when they would have oxen plough their fields, they would put what they call on them a yoke. And it would keep the oxen together, right? And so that the guy could steer them in the way they want to go. So what Paul is saying, so let's say Donovan's an unbeliever, right? He's called to the purpose. No, he's a, no he's, a, he's a believer. I'll be the bad guy. <laughs> Donovan's a believer. He's called to the purpose of God. He's a king and a priest, you know, walking in the purpose of the priest. He's called to raise his father in, in the ways of God. And so he, in his heart, he knows that he needs to go that way. He knows that God is calling him there. Here I am, his friend from school, an unbeliever. We've kept this relationship, but I'm not walking in the purpose and plan for my God, for my life. I, I don't know what that is. I don't even know who Jesus is. And so we wanna walk together. He wants to go that way and I wanna go this way. <laughs> it's just not gonna happen. There's gonna be a constant tussle. There's gonna be, in his heart, there's gonna be a toing and a froing. Like, I wanna walk this way, God, but look at these guys, man. Yo, look how much fun they're having. Look at, you know, I wanna keep the relationship. I wanna win them over for Christ. You know, all these excuses that we come up with. But he will never be able to walk that way. And what happens in these, in these when we yoked with an unbeliever, nine times out of 10, his heart will swear. And he forsakes the purpose and he forsakes the call of God upon his life. And so it's... <laughs> and so it's such a good illustration because we have to be careful. If there are ungodly relationships, I'm not saying we hide in the church like little hermits, but if there are ungodly relationships that are having an influence on your life, Ungodly friendships, it's a, maybe it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend that are, that are causing you to walk away from your purpose. You've partnered with them and you know you're supposed to go this way, but they're leading you that way. What Paul is saying, be a soldier. Be hardcore. Be cutthroat. Make a decision and cut them off. I think the, the biggest thing I hear from people is like, no, God's gonna use me to save them. It's like, he can save them by himself. He's a big boy. If that ungodly friendship, if that ungodly relationship is having an ungodly influence on you, cut it off. As a soldier, don't get entangled in civilian affairs. Will you pay the cost, to miss out on the parties, the popularity, the privileges of, privileges of the world. Will you choose, like Paul, I will give anything and I will do anything for the call, anything for the gospel, or will I compromise, will I choose convenience? Or will I pay the cost? The next scripture we're going to look at is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. So Paul uses these analogies. He's such a good writer. Um, <laughs> first one is that we saw he uses the analogy of a soldier. And here we, he begins to use the analogy of an athlete. And he draws comparisons to his own life and says, this is what I do, guys. Like a soldier, I'm like a soldier. And I'm saying, I'm like an athlete. Emulate me in these things. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to read from verse 24 to 27. It says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? And he says, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
So he says this, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paying the cost, right? So verse four, let's look at verse 24. It says this, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So he says this, run, it says so run in such a way that you may obtain it, that you may win the race, that you may fulfill the purpose and the plan that God has for your life. And so what he's saying is, be intentional with what God has called you to. Run, God, you've called me to X, Y, and Z. Let me run purposefully. Let me run intentionally to make sure that I cross the finish line, to make sure that I lift that trophy. No athlete, like you see those guys running around the course, you know, they don't like, Drink some water, cool, how are you doing? You know, the other guys are running. They, they, they're intentional. They're like, I'm gonna beat you, I'm gonna beat you, I'm gonna beat you. You know, that's their, they, they don't enter a race to lose. I mean, no one goes to the Olympics to lose. Like they go there with a purpose to win gold, to win the medal. And so Paul's saying, be intentional. In your race, run to win. Remember when I was at school, I don't know these guys. <laughs> I was like a small school. So these, I think there was about five of us or six of us we were doing the 200 meter sprint. And so there's one guy, he's like, guys. He was like, I don't know what guys. Like, let's just walk, you know, let's just. <laughs> like, let's like pretend we're gonna get all fast and do that. And then when they hit the, when they fire the gun, let's just walk, you know. And like take our time and like take like 20 minutes just to walk this thing. So everyone's like, you know, bam, everyone runs. And he's the only one. <laughs> it's like, and like, it's like, it's silly. It's like, what's the purpose? Why did you even enter the race? If you're going to go again, like Paul says, follow the rules. Run the race according to how it's been run with intention. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, again, Paul's writing to his protege. He's writing to Timothy, who, who God is raising up as a teacher. He's, ra he's raising him up as a pastor. And he says, devote yourself to teaching. Devote yourself. Give all that you are to the preaching of the Word. Give, devote yourself to the call upon your life. And that word devote in, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, it means to set a course and to keep it. So again, to be devoted to the core means to set a course and to keep it. In other words, I'm going this way and I will not veer off the course. And so if this person or this business opportunity or this job or this fiance is gonna take me off of this course that I've set for my life to fulfill the purpose, I need to make a decision Will I pay the cost? Or will I allow these distractions to pull me off track, really, and stop me from running my race? Because that's what they will do. Will you pay the cost? In verse 26, he goes on and he says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not Box, I was going to say beatbox. I do not box as one beating the air. That word to be aimless means to, well, let's read it. It says to, it's not apparent because it's not clearly seen. And so I'm running, but I don't actually know where I'm running to because I can't see properly. And then he gives the example, and he gives the example of a boxer, right? Which reminds me of Rocky. It's like, Adrian, and he couldn't see, he's like, I was all swollen. <laughs> and he's just like, it's like swinging punches, but he's missing the Russian guy. You know, that, and so that, what Paul is saying is like, don't be a boxer who just swings and misses. You know, that's not what a boxer does. A boxer trains so that with every punch, he inflicts damage upon his opponent. Every punch, not one punch, because every punch that he misses, it saps his energy and makes him open, makes him vulnerable to, for a counterattack. And so what Paul is saying, don't just go through life like this. Adrian, Adrian. You know, it's like, 
Be intentional. Like, make sure you know where you're going. Make sure you know what He's called you to. Don't be aimless. Don't be purposeless in your life. And so it talks about not seeing properly. And, and what I felt the Holy Spirit say is like, one of the veils that prevents us from seeing properly is that we secularize our profession and think of it as separate to our calling. And so we look at the, the pulpit, we look at the prophet, we look at the evangelist and say, wow, they're fulfilling the call of God on their life. I'm just a doctor or I'm just a teacher. That is the purpose of God upon your life. The call of God upon your lives is not just ministry. Your profession, and we have to get that, your profession is your ministry. I look at you, Caitlin, the teacher. Your classroom is your pulpit. I mean, it's like, we, it's like imagine everyone's a pastor or everyone's a prophet. The world would fall apart. So God has placed each, and so don't think of yourself as less. Or well, I'm just this. I'm just a designer. Or I'm just a chiropractor. No. God, they say the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. And so as a believer, where you find yourself, He has led you to there. And so your purpose is found in your profession. Like I said, Ben, your, your, I don't know how you do it, like your chiropractic bed is your pulpit. That's where you get to display and to bring the kingdom of God. Well, I'm just a housewife. Your house is your ministry. Raising up children, what greater privilege than that? Raise up children who will slay giants. Raise up children who will, who will take the enemy head on. It's not, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about how can the eye say to the ear, I have no need. Oh, let me just read it. Because it's better when we do that. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 to 18. It says, For the body, body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And so don't secularize. No, secularize means to separate yourself, separate something as unholy. And so I go to church on a Sunday, uh, I pray for the sick on a Friday night, I go out into the streets, I evangelize, and then on Monday, I step into this, I put this hat on, and now I do my job. That's not how it works. That's not the kingdom. But there's that, that, that parable, right? God places us like yeast in the dough. He places us as light in the darkness. And so where your purpose is, a creator, an artist, a, a videographer, your purpose is found in your profession. And so don't look there and say, oh, you know, they, they're fulfilling the purpose of God in life. You are fulfilling the purpose of God in your life. And in your profession, you, there, there, there is an anointing available. The anointing is not just for the fivefold ministry. The anointing is available for the purpose and the plan that God has placed on your life to where, to the place where you will find yourself. He will empower you to bring heaven to earth. And so like I said, we, that's part of the thing where we, we box aimlessly. It's like, well, I'm just, I'm just this. I'm just a teacher. And so we just think we're floating through life and we look at others and they're achieving great things for the kingdom. It's saying, no, 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 look properly. Open your eyes and see. That's what he's saying. Open your eyes and see, you will find yourself, you're in the right place. And when I, when I know I'm in the right place, I, I begin to think, okay, I have intentionality now. There's, I understand there's a purpose. I understand there's a, and I begin to look at things differently. Where I'm not just working for my salary, 
But now, look, Lord, I've got a whole classroom of 30 kids. Lord, what do you want to do? What is your strategy? What is your wisdom? How do we turn the school on, the, on its head? How do we bring revival here? How do we get these kids saved? How do we train them up in the ways of the Lord? I begin to look at things differently. I have my patients, they come to me. Lord, how can I bring the gospel? Lord, anoint my hands. And when I click their neck, <laughs> Satan gets clicked out of them. <laughs> you know, it's like, we, it just brings a whole new perspective. And so Paul's saying, what you are doing See what you are doing in that moment. See heaven, see his purpose, see his kingdom and use and allow him to use your profession, allow him to use you as a vessel where you are to bring heaven to earth, wherever that place may be and whatever it is that he's asked you to do. Let's go to verse 27, back to where we are, 1 Corinthians chapter nine. In verse 27, he says this, I discipline my body and keep it under control. And we're talking about paying the cost. If you think about an athlete, this is the cost that they pay. You don't wake up one day, oh, I'm gonna go for a jog. Oh, pretty good at this. I'm gonna enter the Olympics tomorrow. There's a, there's a huge cost that athletes pay. The time that they, they wake up at like four in the morning and they run and they run and they run. Where's Tina? Tina's here somewhere. Ask Tina, the, the cost that he pays to be a professional athlete, the, the, the regiments and the diets that you have to stick to, there's a cost. And so Paul is saying, be disciplined in your call. Be disciplined in your cost. And so firstly, it's this is, am I prepared to make the necessary adjustments for my call? Am I prepared to wake up early? Am I prepared to pray more? Am I prepared to walk free of offense? Am I prepared not to compromise? Will I make an adjustment like an athlete does? Will I train myself, not just my body, but my emotions and my, and my spiritual life? Will I bring a discipline to myself in, to make sure that I finish the line, that I cross the finish line, that I get the prize, that I run to win? Secondly is this, is am I disciplined with what God has already placed in my hands. I'll say again, am I disciplined with what God has already placed in my hands? For example, I'm called to the sick. Am I disciplined in my routine that I'm actually going out to pray for the sick? Am I disciplined in my prayer life that I'm seeking greater breakthrough? for God to, to bring signs and wonders, to bring healing, not just for headaches to go, but for cancer to leave bodies. Am I being disciplined in what He's called me to? See, often what we do is we, we know God's called us there and we know there's a cost to walk in that. We know there's a cost to walk in the fullness of our purpose, but what we do is we say, when I get there, then I'll do all those things that are required of me. Lord, when I, when I start seeing the miracles, Lord, then I'm gonna fast, then I'm gonna pray, then I'm gonna make sure I'm at the hospitals every week exercising this gift. In Zechariah 4 verse 10, it says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. That word despise means disrespect. In my core, am I being disrespectful of what he's placed in my hand now. See, because this is the kingdom. Increase only comes by using well what you have been given. That's how he works. Say it again, increase only comes by using well what you have been given. So in this journey towards the fulfillment of purpose, are you being faithful? Are you being disciplined with what he's asking you to do now? Because that will determine how I get there. He won't, it's, it's just the way he works. This is the kingdom. He always looks 
How are you stewarding what I've given you? Remember Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. One was given five, one was given three, one was given one. Lord, you, look, your five talents, I made five more. One guy with the one talent, I hid it, I buried it. The Lord rebuked him because he didn't use what wasn't amount, about the amount of talents, it was about the use of the talent that was given. And so he's watching me. I'm called to this. I'm called, this is my purpose that God has for my life. And this is what he's asking me to do now. Am I focused as an athlete? As, am I focused to what he's calling me? Am I willing to pay the cost? Whatever that cost is, to be disciplined to make sure that I get there. If I don't use what he's given me now, the call remains, the promise remains, the purpose remains. It would take me like 10 years to get there. Or it could take you 10 months. Or for some people, and unfortunately a large percentage is, they never get there at all. They see the purpose, they see the cost, and they decide not to pay it. Lord, it's, it's too much. I love this girl too much. I cannot pay the cost. I cannot let them go. And so I forsake the call of God for the treasures of earth. It's crazy. And Letty was telling me there was a lady at his work. She was saved, loved God. I won't say her name, I don't know her name anyway. Um, but her desire was to get married. And so she's going on in age and she's, just, she's had this such thing, I want to get married, I want a husband. Eventually this guy comes along, but he's Muslim. And so she makes a decision. I will convert to Islam for him. And so she saw the call of God, but there was a cost that she needed to pay. But she couldn't pay it. And instead she chose to forsake Christ for this thing. For this temporal pleasure. Will you pay the cost? So we come to a close. When we reflect on Paul's life, particularly his teachings that we've seen, we see that he gave 100% of himself, 100% of the time, all the time. Like I said, you stone him, gets back up. I'll come back. They're gonna imprison me. Cool, let's go. I can preach to Gentiles in prison. He gave of himself. He, 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 the analogy of the soldier, the analogy of the athlete that he portrays from his own life. And the question is, like, why, Paul, why? What, why, it's like just to try and understand him, it's like, why was he so driven? Why was he so passionate that he would pay the cost? Even death, what was it? So we scroll back a bit to verse 25 in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It gives us an idea. The first part says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. But then the second part says this, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Paul's passion Paul's drive was his heavenly reward. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, it says, my aim, talking about his life, my, the goal of my life is to please him. And so Paul, he, like he rubbished everything that the world could give him. The relationships, the whatever, he, he put it all aside because he knew there was a greater reward. 
He knew there was this ultimate prize and to get that prize, I have to be disciplined. I have to pay the cost. I have to run this race. I have to do what he's asked me to do. And when Paul came to the end of his journey, he stood before the Father and he looked in the Father's eyes and the Father said to him, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your master. And for Paul, that was it. That was the ultimate fulfillment. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves is, am I living for the trophies of earth? Am I living to please people? Am I living for, the, as Paul would write, the perishable trophy, the perishable wreath? Or do I find the ultimate satisfaction of my life that one day I get to stand with the Father and He gets to speak those, just imagine, He gets to speak those words of me. He looks at you and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I promise you that those words will be more fulfilling than anything you could ever experience on earth. Anything that we could give ourselves to any, any cost, the, the money, the traveling the world, the, the girls, the guys, whatever it is, all that stuff, you know, you can't take it with you. We spend our lives, it, it's so weird. It's like when you look at our lives in, in the space of eternity, I think the one guy, who was Francis Chan, with the rope, it's like, if you, it's probably on YouTube, so just check it out. He's got this like really long piece of rope. And so he colors in the one section, it's probably like this small. He says, this is your lifespan on earth. And then he pulls this rope and this is your life and you turn it and just keeps pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling. And we spend so much time, so much focus, so much energy, so much passion, so much drive, giving our lives to this. But <laughs> it's actually, I don't know, we run the rope down to the beachfront. The reward of life is that I get to see him. And I get to look into his eyes. So my question is this. When you look into the eyes of the one who paid the cost for you, will you regret that you never paid the cost for him? When you look into the eyes of the one who paid the cost for you, will you regret that you never paid the cost? for him. And he put you to the earth for a reason, for a purpose, and that you've come back empty-handed. No crowns to throw at his feet. This is it. This is why we pay the cost. This is the ultimate pleasure that nothing matches to. That I can come before the Father and say, look what I did for you, Lord. My five talents, I've made five more. And I live my life, whatever it is and how, wherever he's placed me, I live my life with the desire and the aim and the goal to please him. That I can present, Lord, I can come and, Lord, I've got a bag of crowns and I can spend eternity just casting them at his feet. Lord, this one was for you. You asked me to do that, Lord, I paid the cost, this is for you. What will you cast at his feet? Or will we just be the ones who, the Bible says, we escape through the flames and we just make it? 
Let him be your reward. So again, I ask, what is your cost? What is the cost of your call? Paul paid his over and over again. He received his reward. Will you? Will you be willing? Like Paul was, will you be willing to pay the cost of the call so that you too can stand before the Father and hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your master. Because that's it. That's life. Let's pray, Father, we... We just come before you humbly, Lord. Lord, we recognize the call, we recognize the purpose, but too, we recognize the cost. We recognize the reward of the cost. And we realize that the cost doesn't really cost anything at all. It's so fickle, Lord, such silly little things. When we compare that to your face, to your words, to eternity with you. And so, Father, I pray for us. Lord, that same vigor, that same passion, that same desire that drove Paul, oh God, let it be in us, Lord. Let us be those soldiers. Let us be those athletes, Lord God. Paying the cost for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The reward of our suffering. The reward of our cost, which is you. And so we say, help us, Lord, empower us. Father, if there are things that we need to cut off, whether that's habits or people, or relationships, whatever it is, God, I ask that you would help us, Lord. We thank you for your grace that empowers us to do that. And Lord, I ask even over these people now, Lord, over us that you would release your grace, release your empowerment, Lord God, to do what is necessary in order to please you on that day. And so, Father, we honor you. We thank you that you are at work within us, as your word says, to will and to do according to your good pleasure. So we say, work in us, Lord. Work in our hearts, work in our minds, work in our lives. We can stand before you, Lord, and hear those words, well done. A good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your master. And so, Father, we bless you now in Jesus' name.